Matt. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Thanksgiving. Was Thanksgiving good? Yes. Now, I'm going to pretend that I'm your teacher. How many of you did your homework last, last Thursday? Good. Some of you came up and told me you did it, and you enjoyed the little uh, activity that I asked you to do, and that was good. Now that Thanksgiving is over, I told you last week, as soon as Thanksgiving dinner ends, and my family, 100% Christmas, all right? So last week we did a, um, you know, do you prefer dogs, do you prefer cats kind of thing. And I have one more because all week long my kids kept coming up with, you know what, you could have done this, you could have done that for that. Day person, night person, all that kind of stuff. But I found one that has to do with Christmas. When I find that Christmas is around the corner, I find that most people fall into one of two categories. All right, so my question is, which one, oh, I've got to turn this on in order for it to work. Which one are you? Okay, so how many of you are Buddy the Elf on, the, on your left? Ready to go. How many of you are the other guy on the left? Like, seriously, again, here we are. Okay, all right. Now, my lovely wife and my son just came up here, and well, not my lovely son, but uh, my wife does a lot. I mean, it looks like I have everything together when I'm up here. The reality is, if I didn't have her, I would not know what I'm doing. I mean, my PowerPoint, every, everything that, that I do up here, she has a big hand in. And I don't know what I would do without her. I don't know how many of you guys feel that way about your wife, but I've, I, I came across something the other day, and this makes a lot of sense to me. The three wise men that came to see Jesus, all right? What would have happened if the three wise men had actually been wise women, all right? Things, things would have probably been a little different, okay? They would have asked for directions. They would have arrived on time. The wise men were three years late. I don't know if you know that, but Jesus was like running around talking by the time they showed up, okay? They would have asked for directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable. They would have made a casserole, and they would have bought practical gifts. I mean, we laugh at it, but the reality is that's exactly what it is. Now, we talked earlier, earlier this morning about Christmas traditions. Now, in my family, it's mostly my fault, but I'm a huge tradition guy. It's got to be the same every single year and all that kind of stuff. And for the longest time that I can remember since being a child, um, we've done this in my house. My mom started it before I can remember it happening, and I just kind of took it and I made it, I made it law. You cannot break the law. So here's one of the big traditions in my family. Uh, on Christmas Eve, every, when my sister and I were younger and we were home, home during the day and my parents were working, we would spend the entire day on Christmas Eve cleaning. And I'm talking like deep, deep clean. I'm talking like sweeping the fireplace out, scrubbing down the thing, the wood goes on, the bathrooms, the kitchens, everything as clean as it could be. Sadly, my children have not kept up that part of the tradition. Okay? <laughs> but that's okay. But then Christmas Eve night rolls around and that's when the good stuff starts to happen. So what we do in our house is we have our Christmas Eve dinner and we get the best china, whatever, whatever the fancy dishes are we have. Now, my, I can't believe my wife's letting me borrow these because three times on the way over here, you better not break my dishes, I can't replace them. Okay? The finest china and the finest glasses and everything and then we go with candlelight, right? We, we turn all the lights off in the house and the only thing on are Christmas lights and candles. That's the only light we have going on. There's Christmas music playing in the background. And 
we got to light our candle because otherwise guys like to light things on fire, right? <laughs> All right. So we got one candle that's not lighting and another candle that is lighting, not lighting. We're not going to light it today. All right. So just pretend that it's lit, all right? And so we're all set up with dressed up knives. We probably come to the church Christmas Eve service. We come home. It's all good to go. And now it's time for the food. What do you think we have to eat? Anybody? Ham, turkey, goose, duck? No. Okay? This is what my family eats on Christmas Eve dinner. You laugh, but it's true. Okay? We have... In this basket right here, chicken McNuggets, <laughs> all right, and McDonald's French fries. That is our Christmas Eve dinner, okay? I don't, we probably started it because we didn't have a whole lot of money and my mom wanted to make it cute for the kids and whatever, but seriously, there was a year when my mom thought, why don't we switch to Taco Bell, and we almost kicked her out of the house, okay? <laughs> you cannot switch to Taco Bell. We have McDonald's chicken nuggets, and now it's getting funny because my family's getting bigger and my boys are getting older. So now when my wife and my father go to McDonald's, they walk up to the poor little cashier and say, hi, I would like 200 chicken McNuggets, please. <laughs> and they always get that look on their face like, wait, did you just say 200 chicken McNuggets? Yes, we did. So they bring the chicken McNuggets home and we eat chicken McNuggets and McDonald's french fries every Christmas Eve. And, you know, as crazy as it sounds and as weird as it sounds, it's just something that we look forward to every year and we love to tell people about it. There's no real reason for it. It's just a tradition. It's just what we like to do. Um, anybody else have any weird traditions like that? No? It's, yeah, okay. Well, let's all come up with one, all right? So that's what we do on Christmas Eve. That is our Christmas Eve tradition. Then the last thing we do after dinner is we go into the living room and we watch a movie called A Christmas Carol. Now, how many of you have seen A Christmas Carol? It doesn't have to be this one, or you've read the book or something like that. So every year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I read the, the story of Christmas Carol from start to finish, every year. One of, my favorite, one of my favorite books ever, and I read it every year. I've done it for about 15 years. And then on Christmas Eve, we, we watch this movie. This is the one that stars George C. Scott. Raise your hand if you know who George C. Scott is. Nobody can play Ebenezer Scrooge better than the same guy that can play General Patton in war movies, okay? <laughs> so that's who is in this one. Now, what we're going to do today is we are going to look at Scrooge and we are going to look at Joseph. Now, you're gonna look, you look at this and you say, I know what Joseph you're talking about. You guys think I'm talking about Jesus' dad, right? I'm not talking about Jesus' dad. I'm talking about Joseph in the Old Testament. The one with the, the, the colored coat and the father who loved him and he got thrown in prison. We're going to take a look at him and compare that to what Scrooge learned throughout his story and then we'll apply it to our own lives. So, Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge. Anybody know anybody named Ebenezer anymore? Anybody? No? Nobody names their kid Ebenezer anymore. And then Scrooge just has that gruff last name that just fits him so well. Right? Ebenezer Scrooge is a rich guy who has a lot of money and he just does not like being bothered by people. He's concerned only with what's in front of him. He's concerned about how much money he can make and that's about it. He gets visited on Christmas Eve night by the, by his, the ghost of his former partner, Jacob Marley. Now I know there are some younger people in here. I'm going to show you some clips of this movie. 
I'm, I kept out the scary ones, okay? Because as funny as it is, these Christmas movies are not always, you know, Mary Poppins type movies. But I, I am going to show you some clips of this movie. So he gets visited by Jacob Marley, and Jacob Marley says, do you believe in me or not? And Scrooge says, probably not. I think I'm just having a bad dream. And he and Marley says, tonight you're going to be visited by three spirits. And they're, they're going to take you on journeys, and you're going to learn from this, because I want you to avoid the fate that I, that I made the mistake of making when I was alive, which was not, not uh, reaching out to and blessing others with what we have. So Scrooge goes to sleep. And he wakes up to the first ghost. And the ghost of Christmas past takes Scrooge on a journey through his own past, takes him to Christmas Eves of the years gone by, well, from when he was a little boy all the way up until he lost his girlfriend, all right? And, and she shows him the happy times. She shows him some of the frustrating times. She shows him his relationship with his father. She shows him a lot of things. Uh, and, and he kind of relives the highs and lows and the roller coasters of his own life during his time with this ghost. Now, we're going to take a look at Joseph. Now, Joseph is a very long story. So I didn't put on here, you know, the passage of the day or whatever, because Joseph takes up a whole lot of space, and we would be here all morning trying to read it all. So I'm going to kind of walk us through Joseph. But in order for us to understand where we're going with this, I need you to tell you where Joseph's present time is. All right? And as for today, Joseph's present time is right here, Genesis chapter 40. The chief cupbearer, however... Did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. Now, you, you may not understand what that means yet, but I'm going to walk you through it in just a minute. Joseph is in prison, wrongfully in prison, and the chief cupbearer forgot him. So when you go through the rest of this sermon here, I want you to remember that this is the present time of Joseph right here. 
Oops, I got rid of my PowerPoint. What happened to it? There we go. All right. So we're going to take a look at Joseph's past. All right. So with respect to the, the present that we just talked about, we're going to look at the past. Now, the beginning of the story of Joseph. Now, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him at his old age and he had an ornament road made for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a lot of brothers. I mean, my boys have three brothers. Joseph had three times that many, okay? Now, let me tell you something. When you have a house full of boys and one of them is disliked by the others, hold on to your hats, okay? Now, when Joseph here is the most beloved by his father, the other guys are like, what in the world? What is that all about, okay? Now, we all tell ourselves when we have more than one child, I don't have a favorite. The reality is we have favorites at different points in time, right? Yeah, and and we, we love each one of them for different reasons. But for whatever reason, Joseph's dad said and acted like Joseph was his most favorite. And that did not sit well with his brothers, so much so that they could not say a kind word to him. Uh, wrong button. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So Joseph's dream was basically, paraphrasing, the interpretation of this dream was that Joseph's brothers were all going to bow down and worship him. Now, put yourself in the shoes of Joseph's brothers right now, okay? You already don't like this guy. You know that he's your dad's favorite. Your dad gave him a nice, big, expensive robe, didn't give any of us anything else. And now this dude is standing in front of me telling them that I'm going to bow down and worship him. Okay? Doesn't sit too well with them. So what happens? Joseph's dad sends his brothers out to deal with the flocks, and Joseph gets to stay home and play video games. Okay? Or whatever it is they did at the time. And, and his brothers are out and about, and his father sends Joseph out to go, go find your brothers, find out how they're doing, come back and tell me what's going on. So he goes out and he travels around and he's looking for them and he finally figures out where they are and they see him, his brothers see him coming over the hill towards them and they start having a conversation with each other. Okay? Now in my family it would have been something like, let's get a bunch of water balloons and trip this guy in the mud and then and make fun of him. But that's not what they said. They said, you know what? Let's kill this guy. I can't take it anymore, okay? This guy is just driving me crazy. My dad likes him more than anybody else. Let's get him out of the picture. One of the brothers says, no, let's not do that. Instead, let's just throw him in this big hole in the ground and let him, let, let him fight it out down there. So they put him down in the hole. They, they capture him. They take his robe off. They make fun of him. They throw him down in this hole. And they're sitting there having lunch. And down the road comes, comes some Midianite traders on their way to Egypt. And one of the brothers says, hey, instead of killing him, let's see what we can get for him. Trade him to these guys right here. So they pull him up, they trade him to these Midianite traders, and, um, and, and then they take Joseph's coat, they cut it up, they cover it in animal blood, they take it home to dad and say, hey, is this Joseph's coat? Dad says, yes, an animal must have killed him, and dad goes through a serious state of mourning. All right? So Joseph now so far in his past, pretty good, right? Pretty good. He's, he's number one in the household. Dad likes me the most. Oh, my brother's tried to kill me. Oh, now I'm in a hole. Oh, now I'm being sold into slavery, and I'm on my way to Egypt. Kind of an up and down roller coaster for him, right? So what happens next? 
Meanwhile, the Midianites said to Joseph, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So for lack of a better term, this is the prison warden for, for the Pharaoh of Egypt. Very high up, very high up in the, in the ranks. The only person he ever has to answer to is, is the Pharaoh himself. So Joseph, while he is in this house, starts to everything he does and everything he tries to do prospers. And Potiphar himself starts to notice it and says, you know what? I like who you are. I like your work ethic. Everything you do seems to work. I'm going to put you in charge of everything in my house. Everything in my house. And the Bible says that, um, he, that the Potiphar concerned himself with nothing other than what the food that he ate because he had entrusted everything to Joseph. Now, Joseph, again, is on this roller coaster, right? Kind of a roller coaster path. And he's doing everything right. He's doing everything right, and God is blessing him, and then this happened. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. We're not going to read through this whole thing, but I'm going to tell you what happened. The Bible says that Joseph was a handsome and well-built young man, good-looking young man for women. And Potiphar's wife wanted him. And, you know, yeah, wanted him. And she would wait for, for Potiphar to go to work or whatever, and then she would try to seduce Joseph into, you know, climbing into bed with her. And Joseph would always say, no, your husband has entrusted me with everything. There's nothing I can't do in this house except for touch you, and I don't want to violate the trust of my master. But over and over again, she keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, and finally one day she grabs a hold of his his robe, and he wrestles out of it and runs out of the room and runs out of the house, and she's standing there holding his robe. So then she calls her servants in and says, hey, look what he tried to do to me. He tried to, he tried to get at me. And then she waits for her husband to come home, and what does she do? She lies to him and says, look at what Joseph tried to do to me today. And then what happens to Joseph? Does all the right things. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, moving on, okay? Because now we're up to the present, all right? So with Scrooge, Scrooge, is, Scrooge passes a mixture of emotions, kind of ups and downs and whatnot. What about Joseph? Joseph is definitely a roller coaster ride, okay? Joseph's present, Joseph's past, was a lot better than his present, right? The, the being at home and everything going well, and even once he got sold and he's in slavery and he's in part of his house and everything's being blessed, things are going well. But now, as we get to the present, I'm not so sure, all right? What if I just feel like, now this is for you here, maybe you feel like Scrooge, you kind of look back on your past and you're like, yeah, good times, bad times, whatever. Uh, maybe you look at Joseph and you're like, man, talk about ups and downs and, and all that kind of stuff, but whatever. Um, what if you feel like you've done something in your past that you just can't fix? Maybe you, maybe you ruined a relationship. Maybe you ruined your relationship with your kids. There's all kinds of things you can think of, um, of, of what your past has been like and what you need to do about it. But let's see what happens here.
I love that. I love that line right there. I love that line right there. When it comes to your past, you can either run from it or you can learn from it. Now, I've told you before, I used to coach, or I do coach baseball teams. And one of my big things with them is when you have a game, when you have an at-bat or whatever, and it doesn't go well, okay? When you're playing a baseball game, you're either, we, we have a motto. You're either winning or you're learning, right? You're either winning or you're learning what not to do the next time. You're learning how to do better the next time you come up to bat or the next time you face this team. You're either winning or you're learning. But if you dwell too much on it, you're not going to be able to move forward on your next at-bat. And the same thing applies to life as well. What does the Bible have to say about dwelling in the past? Ecclesiastes 7.10 Do not say, Where were the old, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. So with Joseph sitting there in prison, this says, don't worry so much about why were good things so good back then and not good now, because the reality is this, and I, I want to know if you guys will back me up on this. The reality is this, either right now in the present, you are in a dark space, or you are headed towards one, right? Nobody is in a light space their entire life. You're either in a dark space now or you're headed towards one, which means at some point in the past, you were in a dark space, you probably came out of it, maybe you're still stuck in it, but at some point, God is going to pull you out of it. But it's not good for us to dwell in the past. So I have right here, I have a mirror. I was going to take a rearview mirror out of my car, but I didn't think that would be a good idea, okay? You can use a mirror. The mirror is good for looking. Wow, that's ugly right there. Okay. You can use a mirror to look at literally what's right in front of your face, but... I do this a lot, right? When, when my kids come into the bathroom behind me, I'm actually watching them because I'm trying to figure out how I can trip them or pin them in the corner or something like that. I'm actually looking at what's going on behind me, okay? But the Bible tells us don't dwell so much on the past that you miss what's going on in the present and then you're not prepared for what's coming up in the future. So let's take a look now at the present. So Scrooge does his whole thing with the ghost of Christmas past, goes to sleep, wakes up later to the ghost of Christmas present.
So now Scrooge goes on a journey with the goats of Christmas present. And he takes them to literally the next day. Okay, this is Christmas Eve, the next day. And he takes them all over the place, all around town. He takes them to Scrooge's clerk's house. He takes them to Scrooge's nephew's house. He takes them on a boat in the middle of nowhere. He takes them to the, where the poorest and, and most poverty-stricken people are. And he shows him how all of them are, are making the most of Christmas time. And he's trying to get Scrooge to understand that, look, there's so much going on here that you can be a part of that you're missing out on. So let's go back to Joseph now. Joseph's present is a little bit different than Scrooge's. Joseph is in prison, right, for no good reason. He didn't do anything wrong. He did everything right, and yet here he is in prison. So starting with the third line there, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Does that sound familiar? Same exact thing happened in Potiphar's house, right? And now he's thrown in prison. And by the way, he's in prison for 10 years. Didn't do anything wrong. Did everything right. Did what God wanted him to do. Wrongfully ends up in prison for 10 years. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me and I got thrown in prison in that situation, I would be like, God, what in the world are you doing? I'm doing everything you're asking me to do. You know what? I'm just going to sit here and pout. If this is where it's going to take me, I'll just sit here and I'm not going to be happy with you anymore. Joseph does not do that. Never once do we have an account in Joseph where he says anything about life not being fair. Maybe he felt that way, but I guarantee you he didn't act that way because if he did, these things wouldn't be happening. Right? I talked to you last week about your attitude should be that of joy, and joy does not necessarily mean happy times. It means how you act during the hard times. Now, again, I work in a prison. I work in Santa Barbara County Jail down there, and it is not pleasant to be a prisoner, and that's today where we have laws and regulations where you have to get X amount of food and exercise time and blankets and sheets and all that kind of stuff. When Joseph was in prison, I don't think they had those same laws. I'm pretty sure, okay? But yet he seemed to go about it with the right attitude of joy to where God was blessing him and all the people that were above him start noticing, wait a minute, there's something special about this guy. Okay, and I told you before, the way we act when things are going bad says more about who we really are than the way we act when things are going really well. And that's what's happening with Joseph here in his present time to the extent that he basically gets put in charge of all those in the prison. Now, I can tell you there are things and people in the prison down in Santa Barbara that I cannot unsee. I'm not going to tell you what they are now, but there are some people in there that I would not put in charge of a dead dog. Okay, I mean... But Joseph gets into a situation here where he is put in charge of a lot. And he has a conversation with two guys, the cupbearer and the baker. This is the cupbearer and the baker to the pharaoh. They actually work for the main guy. And these two guys have different dreams, and they are troubled by their dreams, and they come to Joseph, and Joseph says, tell me about your dreams. And he interprets their dreams, and he's correct. Their dreams come true, whatever it is that he said was going to happen. Uh, if you want to, you can spend some time reading that, that later. But here's where we are in the present. Joseph's 
says, as part of the cupbearer's dream, he says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to take you out and he's going to restore you to your place. And Joseph says this, my only request is this. When you get there, remember me down here. Okay? And here's the present. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph is still sitting down there in prison, still doing things that he thinks is right, and doing the things that God wants him to do, and helping other people out. But yet, here he is, still stuck in prison. Again, if it was a lot of us, we would say, what? This is not fair. I'm not going to do this anymore. So Scrooge is present. Now he's starting to see that life is more about, more, life is more, that wasn't, that was not written right. I'm beginning to see that life is not about me, but whatever. Scrooge is present. Joseph's present. Life isn't really fair, but I'm deciding to make the most of it. What does the Bible have to say about living in the present? Now, this is kind of a sticky one right here, okay? Last week, I talked about Job, and two of the passages I'm about to give you are from Job, and it's going to seem weird that these are the ones I'm giving you. Then the Lord said to Satan, again, a picture right there, the Lord and Satan are hanging out in the same room having a conversation together, okay? Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like Job. Because he is blameless and upright, and a man who fears God and sons evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, what's happening here? God's saying, have you considered Job? Look how good he is. He's a godly man. And Satan's saying, oh, of course he is. You've given him everything he's ever wanted, and everything's blessed. Do something about it, and I guarantee you he's going to curse you to your face. The Lord said, very well. Then everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he inflicted a lot of pain on Job, not himself, because God said he couldn't, but on other things. Again, if you want to know the details of all that, you can read up on it. Then a couple chapters later, skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. Again, God and Satan have had another conversation. God says, look at Job. He's still doing all right. And Satan says, well, since it didn't work, you're not going to let me touch him. If you let me touch him, I guarantee you he's going to curse you to your face. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan goes after Job and does a lot of things to his body, but does not kill him. And as we said last week, Job's wife says, Why don't you just curse, curse God after all that's going on here? And what is Job's reply? Everybody remember? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. One more passage here. No temptation has overtaken you except which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can, so you can endure it. The two passages in Job and this are saying a lot of the similar things here. Satan has to get God's approval in order to allow things to happen to you. I want you to think about that for a second. 
Satan has to get God's approval to allow bad things to happen to you. God has to approve it. He has to stamp it and say, go ahead. That's what happened with Job. If God does approve it, according to this right here, he's doing so because he knows you can handle it and because he, ha he knows there's a way for you to get, to get through it or around it or over it. And it's up to us to trust him and to figure out what that avenue is. Satan cannot do this stuff without God letting us know, and God will not let us go through something if he does not think we can handle it. So in your present life right now, if you find yourself going through something horrible or something dramatic or something that you would rather not have to deal with, know this. God knows about it. God approved it, and God has a way for you to get through it. It's your job to, to trust God and to help figure out what that is. Scrooge goes through his thing with the present, he comes back home, and then he, he's visited by the, by the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Now this guy is scary. He is, he is the grim reaper. He never said anything. He just squeaks and makes, makes weird noises and points and all that kind of stuff. But he takes Scrooge into the future and basically shows Scrooge, if you don't change the way you live in your present life, this is what's going to happen. And long story short, Scrooge finds out that he's going to die a lonely man, but nobody cares about him if he doesn't change his ways. But what about Joseph? Joseph's future. So remember, he's in prison, right? He's in prison and wrongfully in prison for 10 years. He tells the cupbearer, your dream's going to come true. When you get out of here, please remember me. And his present was the cupbearer did not remember him. Now Pharaoh himself has dreams. And he has, he has two kind of wacky dreams, and he can't figure out what they mean. He brings in his magicians and interpreters and all kinds of people, and nobody can interpret them for him, and he's starting to get stressed out. And then the cupbearer finally says, oh, I remember there's a guy in prison that can interpret my dream. So he goes to Pharaoh and he says, I remember a guy down in prison. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And so Pharaoh says, bring that guy up here, because I want to hear about it. Okay? So they, get, they pulled Joseph out of prison for the first time in 10 years. They get him shaved and cleaned up and all that kind of stuff, and they bring him before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gives him his dreams, and Joseph tells him, what the interpretations are. Pharaoh's dreams, I'm going to give you one of them. They're both similar. But one of his dreams was, he was standing at the Nile River. Seven very fat, healthy cows came out of the river, and they were eating grass along the river. And then seven ugly, skinny cows come up out of the river, and they eat the fat cows. But then they don't get any bigger themselves. What in the world does that mean? And, and Joseph says, what that means is this. Your, your kingdom is about to experience seven years of prosperity, followed by seven years of, of hard times. Things are going to grow well for the first seven years. Nothing's going to grow this next seven years. And this is what Joseph says to him. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during those seven years of abundance. Now I want you to notice something. What did Joseph not Say, this is, the way, this is what struck me when I was studying for this. What I would have said and what Joseph did not say are the same thing. Okay? I would have said, you know what, I've been in prison 
for a long time for something I didn't do. I interpreted this dream. I'm helping you out with yours. You need to put me in a good position now. Give me what's due to me. Right? That, that would have been my initial reaction. He did not say that. What did he say? He said, Pharaoh, you need to appoint good guys to be in charge of this and make sure these things happen so that you will, you will be blessed in abundance. But, but, and that, that's what, what Joseph says. And what happens here? Joseph gets blessed. Pharaoh says, I'm going to put this guy in charge of all of that, in charge of everything. There is only one person this guy will answer to, and that is to me. And he puts Joseph in the highest possible position you can in Egypt without being the Pharaoh himself. And Joseph's good days have finally arrived. So what happens here? Seven years of prosperity, they start growing wheat and all this kind of stuff like crazy, and Joseph's in charge of storing them in the barns, and he's making sure they got enough for those seven years, but he also has them stored up for the next seven years. The next seven years are seven years of famine. Everybody runs out of food. The only place they can go to get food is where? The grocery store of Joseph. That's the only place they can go to get food. So what's happening back in Joseph's hometown? Anybody know? His brothers and their families run out of food. And what has to happen? Where are they going to go? They don't know it, but they got to go to the grocery store of Joseph to get food. And they go all the way up there. And Joseph and his brothers show up in Egypt. No, Joseph's brothers show up in Egypt. And Joseph recognizes them but they don't recognize him. Now, if you're Joseph, honestly, think about this. If you're Joseph, and you've been through everything that you've been through, and now you're the highest of the high, and you see these guys walk in and bow down before you, honestly, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you would do or say or think, but he could have done anything he wanted to them at that point. Okay? Now, reality is he does play some games with them. He doesn't tell them who he is right away. But he, at, some, at one point, he finally can't take it anymore. And this is his response. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It is, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Can you imagine being one of the brothers now? Oh, man. And Joseph, again, had every right, based on what he had gone through in his past, he had every, every human right to take it out on them. But instead, Joseph did what Job did, and he looks at what God put him through and why? Because God knew what was coming up in the future. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me here ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
Joseph had every right to, to go about this a different way, but Joseph again gave God the credit and God the glory for having put him through the fire because the reality is we have to go through the tough times in order to be better people. Joseph had to go through the unfairness in order to get to a point where he knew that God was in control. And I think we all have trouble sometimes worrying about the future and letting go and letting, knowing that God is in control and that he knows what he's doing and that he knows the outcome. Scrooge's future. I will change my ways for the betterment of others. It says that Scrooge took the past, the present, and the future, and all three strived within him, and he kept the Christmas spirit alive all the year. And it says that he went on to live a great life, and everybody in town knew who he was for the good that he was. Joseph. I didn't understand it then, but I do understand it now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What does the Bible have to say about worrying about the future? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not rely on your own understanding. How many of you can think of a time in your life that you went through a rough patch and now as you look back on it, you're like, now I understand why that happened. I'm a different person now. I learned. Maybe you're able to counsel somebody who's going through the same thing. That is how we're supposed to approach the unpleasantness of our past and the unpleasantness of our present. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, the good thing about Joseph and Scrooge is this. They got to see the benefit of, of their past and their present and the, and the things that they went through. They got to see the benefit. They got to see the future. But the reality is this. I can't promise you that going through hard times in the past and or the present and all the ups and downs, I can't promise you that you're going to be alive to see the outcome of, of the glory that God is going to bring out of that. In Hebrews 11, uh, the author lists a whole bunch of different people in the Bible. Noah, Moses, all these people. Uh, and all by faith, these, these guys did this. By faith, these guys did that. And all these wonderful things that they did. But here's a verse that kind of struck me when I read it. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Moses, remember Moses wandering around for 40 years? What was the, whole, what was the end result supposed to be? Taking the Israelites into the promised land. Did Moses ever step into the promised land? No, he didn't. He died before they got into the promised land. I can't promise you that the hard times you go through in your past and your present, are go, you're going to be around to see the end result like Scrooge and Joseph were. Maybe you are, maybe you will, and that's wonderful. But if not, it is still our job to live lives that say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's our job to be that, that witness to others who are not believers that says, man, that guy's going through a tough time, but he's doing it with an attitude of joy that I just don't understand. There's something different about him. What is it? And they want to figure out what that is. So with your life, okay, I don't have a fill-in-the-blank thing for you this time, but on the back there's kind of like a devotional thing that you can go through later on. 
I want you to think about your past, okay? What, what, if you had to describe your past in one sentence, what would you say? What about your present time? What would you say? And what about your future? So I have here, remember, this is, the, uh, this is representing the past, okay? We can see what's behind us. How many of you wear glasses? Anybody? Do they look like mine? Okay? Glasses are intended to help you see what's right in front of you, right? Maybe see the things that you might miss. If you spend so much time dwelling on what happened in the past, be it good or bad, you might very well miss what's right in front of you. Okay? Remember I told my baseball guys, learn from your mistakes, learn from the past, whether it's good or bad. Focus on what's in front of you right now, that you're next up bad or whatever it is the next day that you have to live. And you know what? The future will take care of itself. We, my dad and I used to take this thing to Dodger Stadium all the time so we could see the players up close. These are binoculars, right? Binoculars. Anybody have binoculars? Okay. Binoculars are intended to help you be able to see things that you can't see. Okay. But you can't see everything. It's kind of, it's kind of tunnel focused. Okay. We have to be able to accept our past, be it good or bad, appreciate what's right in front of us, and trust that God knows what's around the corner. And God knows what we need in order to be able to get where we're going. We're about to take, partake in communion, okay? And again, that's a lot, a very similar situation. Right now, we're going to be remembering what Christ went through. In our present life right now, we're going to be remembering what Christ went through, thinking about and, and, and focusing on the hope for the future because of what Christ did. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll get, we'll get going with communion. Dear God, we just thank you for who you are, and we thank you for bringing us here together this morning as we, as we kick off the Christmas season. And Lord, as we, as we look at Scrooge and as we look at Joseph, uh, they, both, they both had different kinds of past, and they both had different focused views on the present, and they both had uh, similar outcomes in the future. But as we look at our own lives, May we, may we learn from the past, be it good or bad. May we not dwell on it, but may we focus on, on living the way you want us to live in the present and knowing that you have control of the future. And even though we may not be around to see the outcome, we trust that you, you will use our life and the things that we go through for the betterment of others. And as we participate in communion right now, we remember back to what Jesus went through on the cross so that we can experience what we're experiencing today with a blessed hope for the future. And we ask this in your name. Amen.